Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Amen. We're going through our sermon series called Reconciled, moving from division to unity, moving from division to unity. And I have the very blessed task today of ending racism in 30 minutes. So uh, hang with me for a little bit. Uh, But truth be told, this is going to be more of an invitation, an invitation to have conversations, an invitation to engage in relationship, an invitation to see things uh, a little differently and to be open to challenge and to being challenged as well. So give me a lot of grace. I am not going to cover everything. Uh, Somebody might be here who says, well, you didn't really talk about that. Or you might be here and you will hear me quote somebody you don't like. Uh, Or you might be here and you will hear something that you don't really agree with. As we've asked uh, throughout this series, let's give grace to one another and we'd be open to having conversations. This is the beginning, the beginning of ongoing conversations around this in our church. So uh, let's talk about reconciliation and racism and ethnocentrism. Before we do that, let's pray together. God, thank you for uh, a church and a place where we can openly and honestly talk about very difficult things, things that threaten the unity that you have already purchased for us through your blood and through the cross. I pray that whatever I say today would be of you, and that if there is anything that is not true, that you would bring brothers and sisters who are gracious to let me know those things. But I also ask, oh God, for myself, I struggle speaking about this because um, I am a people pleaser. I like people to like me, and I don't like offending people. And so, God, I pray that you would rid me of any sin that would make me more concerned about offending people and not about offending you. I pray, oh God, that you would um, help us to pursue truth together around the sin of racism. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so... Uh, One of my kids' favorite books is a book called God's Very Good Idea. God's Very Good Idea, it's by an author named Trillia Newbell, and it is the story, the true story, about God's delightfully different family. And it says, God's idea was to make people, lots of people, lots of different people, who would all enjoy loving him and all enjoy loving each other. Do you see all the different type of people here? How many different types of people are there? A lot. A lot. Yes, we can't count them. They're just a lot of different people. I think oh, you can't? Okay. All right. <laughs> that would take a long time. All right. We can count it later. They would all be made in his image and they would all be like mirrors reflecting what God is like. Because God is full of love, they would be full of love. That's God's very good idea for people. 
So when you look at each other, you see we're not all the same. But some people have the same skin. Some people have the same skin here. So can you point to a couple of people who have similar skin here? This one. Mm-hmm. But then there's also people who are different. Can you point to people who are different? No? All right. That's okay. <laughs> but the point is, even though we are different, God loves us the same. And all of us are made in God's image. And we can't reflect God's image to the world by ourselves. We need each other. So when we come together with all our differences, the world is able to see what God is like. Isn't that amazing? So you are a miracle. You are a miracle. And you are beautiful. And because of your beauty and the difference that you have, God is pleased and God has sent Jesus Christ to make sure that we keep that unity. So that is our starting point. God's very good idea. This idea of making people that are different, people that would love him and also love each other. They would all be made in his image. So that is where our story starts, that God has made people of different cultures, people of different ethnicities, people of all shapes and sizes, and that they would be full of God's love and they would pass that love on to one another. This is what God makes. God is a God who makes good things. And why does God make people who are different from one another? Well, I think, oh, there's an answer right there. Because he loves us. That's right. That's a great answer. Another thing is, this is who God is. If you are a Christian, you believe in a bedrock theological truth called the Trinity. The Trinity says that we serve a God who is one God in three persons. A God who is so uniquely distinct in personhood but also so radically united in his essence that you cannot see that as three gods. It's one God. One God in this diverse personhood called the Trinity. And God makes people in God's image. So that means at the heart of who we are, created in God's image, means that we cannot reflect God on our own. As a Nigerian, I cannot reflect God on my own. As Americans, as people who are Chinese-American and Mexican-American, as people who are from Brazil or from Indonesia, none of us reflect God perfectly on our own. But because we become this community of people who come together, we're able to act like a mirror that reflects the beauty of our God our God who is distinctly diverse and yet unified at the same time to the world around us. Our distinctions are beautiful to God because these distinctions were created by God. And these distinctions reflect who God is. So God made it. When we look at ourselves and we see difference, we must remember that it is God who created those differences. 
And those differences are good. God made it. Father, Son, and Spirit created a world of diversity in God's image so that we could reflect God to the world and also bring the praises of creation back to God. So when you look at our world, is that the picture you get? I mean, all of us lived through the year that was 2020, and apart from the raging global pandemic, there were other things that were going on that just reminded us that things are not the way God created them to be. We saw people who are made in God's image being treated unfairly. We saw people who were created in God's image being killed and murdered. We saw people being created in God's image being blamed for the coronavirus. We saw sin. Sin, lawlessness, and rebellion against God. We saw sin in actions of people who are destroying God's very good idea, but also in the inaction of people who are supposed to remind our world that this is not what God intends. Sin as both action and in action, because sin is not just doing bad things. Sin is also neglecting to do the good things that God has called us to do that bring us into fellowship and bring that original idea that he has for our world back. Sin separates. So I'd like to use a visual to show you what sin that separates looks like. We are not moving stuff from the church. Those boxes are actually going to function today for us as a wall. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about sin as a wall of hostility that separates. So I'd like uh, a few of my helpers to come up. I don't know, Brandon, if you're around, a couple other people. If you're willing, uh, I want us to bring all those boxes over here on the stage, and we're going to build uh, a wall of hostility between us. Yes, Anybody who wants to come and help with this, come on. Sin separates us. Lawlessness separates us. Racism and ethnocentrism separate us. We're going to build these right over here on this side. You see, when God creates the world, the things that separate are not a part of God's original plan. They have to be created, and they have to be built by human hands. And so that's what Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, that the things that God creates are good, but it is we as human beings that are responsible for creating a wall of hostility and separation. God creates what is good, and human beings are the ones who are responsible for creating sin. So the sin we're specifically talking about today is the sin of racism. Racism is a dividing wall of hostility between us. The wall of hostility between us. Now, in order to talk about this a little bit, I want to share some things from history. I'm not going to do a, a big sweep of history, but I want to share a couple things from history. So think about it this way. 
God creates things that are good. God creates things that are beautiful. But we as people are the ones who build the dividing wall of hostility. Racism is that dividing wall of hostility. It is not a part of God's original intent and it's not a part of God's design. Racism separates us from one another. Racism is an ideology that keeps us from living fully into what God intends for us as people. Racism can present itself to us in individuals, but also in communities as well. So let me talk a little bit about some history. Racism is a corruption of God's very good idea. Racism, it's not original to God's intent. It's a social construct. And even though it's not real and it's a corruption, it has very real impact on the people that God has created in his image. On June 18th, I want to talk a little bit about the church. On June 18th, 1452, Pope Nicholas V signed what was called a papal bull. And this papal bull gave explorers permission to, and I'm quoting directly from those documents, permission to invade, search out, capture, vanquish, and subdue all Saracens and pagans. Whoever and other enemies of Jesus Christ, wheresoever placed, and their kingdoms, dukedoms, principalities, dominions, possessions, and all movable and immovable goods whatsoever held and possessed by them are to reduce their persons to perpetual slavery and to apply and appropriate to himself and his successors the kingdoms, dukedoms, counties, principalities, dominions, possessions, and goods, and to convert them to his and their use for profit. That was something that was written by the leader of the church at the time. Invade, search out, capture, vanquish, subdue. Any enemy of Christ, collect all their possessions. Make those possessions yours. And that began an age in the 1500s of separation in the church of Jesus Christ. That's what led to the forced removal of Native Americans from the lands that they had called their home for centuries. That's what led to capturing and enslaving Africans, people made in God's image, and treating them as property instead of human beings. That's what led to colonialism, conquering and pillaging lands all over the world, from India to Nigeria to Ghana to Native American countries, Latin American countries, to Congo, to Indonesia. Invade, capture, vanquish all people in the name of Christ. Seize their possessions and make them your own. Now, this went on for many, many centuries. This division 
in the church. Again, like this is not something that came out of the general society. This is something that was presented by the leadership of the church. I went on for a couple centuries, and in the 1700s, many philosophers and biologists and scientists were trying to figure out, like, how do, we, how do we explain this? How do we explain this theological doctrine that has been placed before us, that we are allowed to go into other lands and capture and pillage and use whatever we want and enslave people? And in the 1700s, German philosophers Immanuel Kant and J.F. Blumenbach came up with the solution. Their solution was to stratify people based on biology. How do we prove that it's okay to enslave Africans? How do we prove that it's okay to displace Native Americans from countries and lands that they have considered their own for centuries? How do we enslave and capture people of Asian descent and colonize their lands? Well, we create a hierarchy based on biology. We look at people's features and we, we, we say, okay, these, kind, these groups of people, they look alike, they have the same hair texture, they have the same kind of biology, same shape to their eyes, same culture. We're going to stratify what it means to be a human being. And instead of looking at the theology that says all human beings are made in the image of God, worthy of love and respect. What they came up with was a stratification that put people from a certain caucus. That's where that word comes from, Caucasian. They said people from this area are superior and people from these other areas are inferior. And so we'll create a system of stratifying that says, you know how we justify robbery and stealing we say that these people are not created in the image of God. We say that we are superior and they are inferior. We say that we are made in the image of God and they are creatures that are not made in the image of God. We say that we are full human beings and they are three-fifths of a human being. These ideologies these ideologies started to capture every single thing that came after them. Remember, it's the ideology, racism or ethnocentrism that captures all of that and says, some people are made in the image of God and others are not. For hundreds of years, our laws, the way we shape society, the way we do business together has been shaped by hundreds of years of ideology that some human beings are superior and others are inferior. That ideology is white supremacy. That ideology goes against God's very good idea. That ideology is heresy. That ideology goes against the gospel. That ideology ruins everything perfect and good that God creates. That ideology 
is not just something that was out in the culture around it, but was supported and incubated by the historic church. So let me give you some definitions. Racism, a prejudicial attitude or behavior directed against persons based on biological features that classifies image bearers of God as superior or inferior. Racism can manifest itself both interpersonally between individuals or institutionally between communities. Racism goes against God's very good idea. Let me give you another definition. Ethnocentrism, the tendency to center one's own ethnic or cultural values and preferences as normative and assign negative value to other cultures. So it says, my culture. My culture is the center of God's very good idea. And my culture is normative. And every other culture is an aversion of God's good idea. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 12, this is what the Apostle Paul writes to the church. He says, Therefore remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you are at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Paul is talking about a division between Jews and Gentiles, between Jews and the nations around them where God had chosen the Jews for a very specific purpose, and that was to call every other nation around them unto God, to show them the glory of God so that they could also come to the knowledge and saving grace of the living God. But what God meant for good, you see, the Jews had started to turn to their own type of methods and ordinances. They started to see themselves as the saviors of the world instead of seeing God as the one who was the savior of the world. They started to see these laws that God gave as a way to distinguish and to say, okay, here is who we are. This is us. We're going to separate ourselves from the world, and we're going to keep all these promises that God has given for ourselves. We're not going to share that with the rest of the world and call the rest of the world to a place where they know who the living God is the God who has made us distinct and unique and diverse, but still calls us to be one. They created a dividing wall of hostility based on, on their customs, customs like circumcision, a way to mark and a way to differentiate and to separate people from others. And Paul is writing to the Ephesian church, and he's writing specifically to the other ethnicities within that church and saying, Yes, there was a time where you were far off, where the people of Israel excluded you from this work, excluded you from knowledge of the true God. Remember that. But he's asking them to remember that not as a way to tell them you are inferior. In fact, he does the opposite as we continue reading in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, he starts and he says, But now in Jesus... 
You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Scripture calls Jesus Christ our peace. Jesus Christ is our peace, and Jesus Christ tears down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility that exists between us. Jesus Christ has not come to tear down the distinctions that exist between us. Jesus has come to tear down the ideology, the dividing wall of hostility between us, so that you and I can look at each other not from behind the wall of hostility, but look and see ourselves the way that God sees us, fully created in his image, with distinctions that are beautiful and not dangerous, fully created in God's image, so that we see that it is when we come together that we can mirror what it is like to, for people to see who God is. None of us can do that on our own. Jesus Christ in his flesh tears down the wall of hostility that exists between us so that we can bear witness to a new reality, a new oneness that God creates, a new unity that says, even though we are different and distinct, like our God and our Father, like our God and Creator who is three persons in one radically united community, we can also be that as well. Through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, Jesus Christ calls us to see his finished work of tearing down the wall of hostility. The way the passage presents this is not as something that's going to happen, but as something that's already been done. In his flesh, Jesus Christ has already torn down the wall of hostility that exists between us. Now, as a diverse church, we just have to walk into what Christ has already done for us. That is the calling of Ephesians chapter 2. But it's even better because the words that are used to describe what it means for Christ to tear down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility it's a verb that says, this is something that was done in the past, but has ongoing significance. That means even though Christ died for Jew and Gentile, as presented in this passage, Christ also died for black and white. Christ also died for Japanese and Korean. Christ also died for Native American Christ has died to tear down any kind of division, any kind of wall of hostility that comes up in our society today. If anybody tells you that pursuing justice around racial reconciliation is not a gospel issue, point them to Ephesians chapter 2. Show them how God is, is creating a world where we are united 
Not a world where all of us come to the same place and just act like we're the same, but a world where even with our distinctions, there's something that is so powerful. There's an identity as children of God who are made in God's image that shapes the way we interact with one another, that shapes the kind of laws we vote for. We vote for laws that don't separate, but we vote for laws that will unite us. We look to create communities that do not segregate us, but communities that unite us and celebrate the good things about the way God has created us. Leave it to a carpenter from Nazareth to be the one who's perfect at breaking down walls. Jesus Christ is both in the business of demolition and construction. Because that is what the passage goes on to say, that God will finish this work, and God has rescued us. So because God has rescued us, it means that when Jesus Christ tears down the wall of hostility between us, there is something that he wants to build in the place of that wall of hostility. There's darkness that Christ rescues and brings us over to the kingdom of light. God sees our sins, whether those sins are individual. God sees racism, whether if it's a thought or something that you have and harbor in your heart, or racism, something that's ex uh, that, that exists in laws that have been created to keep us apart. God sees all of those things. And through Jesus Christ, he tears down in his flesh that dividing wall of hostility between us. Again, it's not something that's gonna happen in the future. It's something that's already been done. And the only reason this wall keeps standing is because we keep putting the bricks back up. We keep taking everything that Jesus Christ has destroyed in his flesh and we say, you know what, no, it, it makes more sense for me to kind of put barriers between me and my brother or sister in Christ. It makes more sense for me to get all the wealth of creation and, and harbor that for myself and use it as my possession instead of sharing it with the person who doesn't look like me. We're the ones who keep pulling back every brick that Christ has torn down. But that is not who we are as the church. It says that God will finish this work by building a temple a temple of living stones that will act differently. A temple of living stones that will engage society differently. A temple of living stones that will continue to be about our Father's business. The business of demolition of any wall of hostility that exists between us. But the business of building something that is wholesome and that produces flourishing and produces peace in its place. It's not enough to just not be a racist. That is not what God is calling the church to be. It's not enough to kind of sit on the sidelines and say, you know what, as long as I don't hate somebody, then that's enough. As we learned last week, that's what it means to be lukewarm. And God will spit us out of his mouth if we are lukewarm about racism. God is not going to sit aside and watch his bride, the bride that Jesus Christ has died for and sacrificed for, 
continue to tear ourselves apart. Jesus Christ in his flesh has pulled down the wall of hostility between us. We cannot be lukewarm about the wall of hostility. We cannot pretend that the wall of hostility doesn't exist. We cannot pretend that the wall of hostility, well, it's not as bad as it looks, right? Like I can still see people from across the wall of hostility. Christ says, don't be lukewarm. There's work for us to do in tearing down the wall of hostility. There is work for us to do, church, in bringing down this wall of hostility so that we can fully be known and seen as image bearers of God. And so that the world will truly know that we are Christ's disciples because of our love for one another that is not just in spoken words, but is in action as well. God will finish this work. God will continue to tear down the wall of hostility and build his temple, his church, people who are living stones. The question is, will we join him in that work? Yes. Will we join God in that work and say that no matter what it costs us, we will be about the business of tearing down walls of hostility but also building beautiful temples in their stead. Will we be about the work of God? Will we bring justice and reconciliation? Will we condemn every kind of ideology that comes up, whether if it's individually or communally, and say that this has no place in the kingdom of God? And through the power of the Holy Spirit, tear down the walls of hostility that exists between us. That's the invitation, church. Will you accept that invitation? Now, the truth is, this wall of hostility was not built in a day. This wall of hostility was built over centuries. This wall of hostility was built with intention. So, it's actually going to take a lot of intention to bring it down. We are going to have to be wise we're going to have to work together. If you put up a box, I'd like you to come back up and take that box down. This is not work that we can do by just crashing the wall of hostility down. We are going to have to work together, bringing down this wall of hostility, knowing that Jesus Christ in his flesh and through the body of Christ is bringing down that wall of hostility so that we can truly reflect to the world that we are his people, that we are the people of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The wall of hostility has no place in the church. And through our actions, through our words, God has already pulled down that wall of hostility. This is where we are headed. That is why in Revelation chapter 7, there's a vision that's presented of what the kingdom of God looks like. At the end of all things, we will stand before the throne of God, people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, and we will declare the mighty and glorious name of our Jesus Christ, who in his flesh has divided and torn down that wall of hostility. We will do that together. 
I don't want anybody in this room to be surprised when you get to heaven and see that, man, God is reconciling people from every tribe and tongue and nation to be with him. There is work for us to do, church. And again, this is an invitation, an invitation to be about the work of demolishing walls of hostility and instead of those building a temple where God, through his spirit, dwells. So here are a few things I want you to commit to this week. Pray and think about any areas where racism has taken root in your heart or your life. Racism and ethnocentrism. Are there things about how we operate where we believe that we are superior and other people created in God's image are inferior? And if you have trouble finding a place like that, I would encourage you to ask somebody to tell you the truth. Ask somebody to tell you, are there areas of my life where I have not seen you as an image bearer of God? And ask them to be honest with you. As a church, let us pray. Second thing, when we pray together, do we actually pray and believe that Jesus Christ has pulled down the dividing wall of hostility between us? Do we pray for the end of racism, even if not in our time, but that the next generation would be about this work and that slowly that wall of hostility comes down? Do we pray to God earnestly and ask him to reveal to us what are the ways, O oh God, that you are calling us to pull down the walls of hostility that racism have put between us? What do your prayers about racism and ethnocentrism look like? Pray. For those who are parents or spiritual parents, don't assume that your kids are just going to know this stuff. Be active in teaching your children about what it means to be made in the image of God. Start here. Get this book and just read at bedtime to your kids. Read to them about what it means to be made in the image of God and how God calls us to treat people who are different from us, but who are still radically the same and called to be united. Teach Teach early, teach often. And the last thing, it's great that as a church, we have a space where we can gather and where we can be together, people from every tribe and tongue and nation. But the true mark of that work of tearing down walls of hostility between us will not be fleshed out in this space will be fleshed out at your dining table, will be fleshed out in your community, will be fleshed out at your workplaces. What do those spaces look like? Are those spaces where the dividing wall of hostility still exists? Or are you becoming an ambassador who Christ has called to tear down those walls? This is a great space, and don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not downplaying what it means for us to gather together as a diverse group of believers. This is hard work, and this is the work that the Spirit of God is doing in our congregation. 
and we celebrate that. But if it only happens at 11 o'clock on Sunday, and if after we leave here, all of us return to realities where there's a wall of hostility between us, then our work is not yet done, church. What do our neighborhoods look like? What do our dining tables look like? When we hang out with friends, what do those spaces look like? In our workplaces, when we hear people say things that go against God's very good idea of people being made in his image, what kind of posture do we take in challenging those things? In our nation, when there are laws on the ballots that we can vote for, are we taking the opportunity to ask really deep questions about what kind of community these laws will create? Or do we just vote blindly? Because this is my tribe, and this is my community, and so I'm just going to vote this way. Be critical about the policies and the laws that you vote for. Because some of the ways that we vote just might be doing the opposite of what Christ has done for us in the cross. And celebrate. Let us celebrate what God is doing. Celebrate that God is a good God who through the gospel and through the blood of Jesus Christ has torn down the wall of hostility between us. Celebrate each other. Celebrate the beauty and the diversity that God has placed on this world. It is a good gift. It's not a distraction it's not a danger to unity. In fact, it strengthens our unity together. May we learn to see people as image bearers who are created in the image of God. Nothing less. May we learn to see ourselves as image bearers who are created in the image of God. Nothing more. The only place of superiority in our lives belongs to Jesus Christ. Let Christ be Christ. He's very good at it. Amen.